Welcome to the Two Tokens Podcast. During these episodes, we will invite guests onto our show and discuss everything token-related. You can expect to hear about token business models, the underlying technology stack, token governance, but also our mainstream topics such as NFTs. Does this sound interesting to you? Then make sure you subscribe and keep listening. And now, on to the episode. Welcome at yet another podcast on the Euro Stablecoin group of the Two Tokens Foundation, where we update you on the progress of our work group with regards to Euro tokens. I'm sitting here together with my co-captain of the work group, Dion Bogaerts. My name is Olivier Rikke. And for the past half years, we've been starting this work group so far. And we want to give you a update on um, the stablecoin work group in itself. Uh, why is a work group like this even necessary? What is the status so far? What do we have been doing? And uh, where are we going? And also a call to action. So um, welcome once again and welcome Dion. Great to have you again. Uh, thank you, Olivier. So um, half year down the road, a lot of things happened in stablecoin land, but we're going to talk you about that. You can say that. Again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, we're going to elaborate on that a little bit more later on. But, but just the first question why why a stablecoin and especially why a euro stablecoin what is the need for it well at two tokens we've been developing several uh, business cases for uh, for using tokens for business purposes and uh, for, uh, for example i myself have been invo involved in the invoice markets work group and what we noticed there and also in other uh, work groups was that having tokenized money would be really really useful because people like tokenized money it has a stable value it's what they are used to transact in that's also one of uh one of the properties that typical money has stable uh value a storage of value if you want um and in the US, you have stable coins. You also see them being used quite a lot. They're very popular. This indicates a need or demand for them. Uh, but in the euro area, you hardly see them. The, the few euro stable coins that are there are very, very small. So there, there is a clear need for stable coins, especially to gain efficiency in other tokenized projects in itself to, to when we... When yeah, as a, a, as a payments infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, and as an alternative for uh, the standard payment infrastructure that we now have, uh, which involves banks and central banks. Yeah, and especially if you take into account that if you do <coughs> the transfer of uh, ownership of assets that are tokenized on one hand, and you integrate the transfer of the payment and the settlement of the payment within the same transaction, this is where the potential true um, efficiency gain will be, right? Yeah, exactly, because what you can do then is that you can have instant settlement of transactions. Uh, so the tokenized assets and the tokenized money change hands at exactly the same time. And that is something that you really want to have in a decentralized uh, system where people don't necessarily trust one another, where you don't have a trusted party that makes sure that basically ensures that the other party will also pay up. Yeah, and, and, and currently in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the current payment system, this is only possible with, with paper money, I would say. So, so this, this direct transaction is only possible with paper money because it, once it goes digital, there's always a, a delay. In the uh, uh, there's always a delay. Um, 
But fortunately, we have parties like banks and central banks that kind of ensure that these transactions will go through. Yeah. And if you truly want to do this completely peer to peer, that is where it comes in that we need a stable coin. In this case, then a euro stable coin, because yeah. the US dollar variant has been out there and growing quite fast. Lately. Yes, exactly. But if you consume in euros, yeah. and there's uh, exchange rate risk, mm -hmm. then you also want to have your revenues yeah. in euros. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so there, there, there is a clear need for stablecoins and euro stablecoins in itself. But why do we then need this this, this work group? Because yeah, it's there. There are some initiatives out there. So why not just blank pick one off the shelf and go with it? Well, in Europe they don't really take off, and we wanted to understand why and whether we could do something mm -hmm. about that. Um, so, that, so that was the first part of the mission of this. Uh, uh, of this working group to un to understand the concept of stablecoins, what is needed for a properly functions uh, functioning stablecoin, what desired or necessary properties uh, are to come up with alternatives, score those alternatives according to these uh, to these properties, and then for the next step, um, we can work out a few of those candidates. Uh, and see how they work in practice. Yeah, because there, there, there are so many forms of these stablecoins, although they're all called stablecoins or euro stablecoins in themselves, the buildup is completely different of all the different types of them. And, and we want to make sure that, that um, uh, beside judging if there's a need for euro stablecoins, also that they are regulatory sound and sustainable and sustainable in multiple ways. Right? Uh, sustainable in multiple ways. So s stability is a very clear requirement for, uh, for a stablecoin. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a stablecoin. Um, but it's also important that whichever party introduces this stablecoin and provides some necessary uh, services to support that stablecoin can make a business out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, if this is a money losing operation, then you need to think about, well, does this have perspective? Um, and can we have this to begin with in the long run? Because if, if there's one thing that needs a, a almost perpetual going concern, it's, it's money in itself. We shouldn't be dependent on um, a company saying, all right, we're bankrupt now, so you cannot access your money as a whole anymore. Well, for, for things like money, the positive type of claims, which essentially a stable coin is, there, there's something else. The moment people start to doubt the integrity of the system, they will basically run mm -hmm. to get their money out. Yeah, and, and that will make the stablecoin collapse in an orderly fashion. Yeah, and 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 this is actually quite interesting because yeah, we started off with a lot of things happened and and actually one of the bigger stablecoins out there completely collapsed uh, exactly. in the last few months. Exactly. Um, being uh, the US, UST. UST, Terra. Terra in itself. Can, can you just elaborate a little bit what happened there for people who don't know what happened to, to, to this stablecoin? Because you, you, you think it's called a stablecoin, so it's stable, right? Yes. Uh, so in a nutshell, how, um, how Terra worked was that there was a promise that Terra would always be worth one dollar, 
Um, and in case not, you would essentially get people uh, get incentives for people to buy Terra uh, in exchange for other coins that essentially had the value of the Terra ecosystem as a pot of money behind it. Mm -hmm. So as long as there was sufficient value in that Terra ecosystem, at least people believed there was sufficient value in the Terra ecosystem, you could sustain that. It's the same way as central banks support their currency when their currency devaluates too much. They buy more of it in, in exchange for other currencies. And, and, and with Terra, they, they, they depended on the ecosystem as a whole to yeah. basically be this stabilizing mechanism. Yes, yes. So And the, val the value of the, that ecosystem was monetized in the Luna token. That was the companion token mm -hmm. um, for Terra. Now, the um, uh, Federal Reserve increased interest rates. Because of that, the whole crypto sector became less interesting for investors. Mm -hmm. um, one reason we saw such a boom in the crypto sector has been the extremely low rates uh, by central banks uh, worldwide. So you saw an enormous outflow out of that system and therefore also a reduction in value of that. Yeah. Uh, but, but but not only in, in, in Terra and Luna, but, but, but in, in the system as a whole, right? In the, yeah. in the system as a whole, yeah. in the system as a whole. Um, <clears throat> so once you get these outflows, uh, there's pressure on, uh, on both Terra as well as on Luna because of the stabilization traits. You get even more pressure on Luna. It takes off pressure from Terra, but it puts on extra pressure on Luna. People, people may start to doubt the integrity hmm. or the value, long-term value of that system and out of precaution get out. Some people may try to manipulate this by predatory trading, mm -hmm. putting further pressure yeah. on this and then you can get a complete collapse. Yeah, and, and, and this, this stabilizing mechanism sometimes also is called algorithmic trading stabilizing mechanism in itself. Yes. It is one of the scenarios we looked at for a, a euro stable coin, right? Because if going back to the process that we wanted to go through was uh, set up a whole range of scenarios based on various characteristics. And one of the stabilizing characteristics could be algorithmic trading. Exactly. And it is actually quite interesting that we all said, well, we need to mention the algorithmic trading uh, stability mechanism, but it's never going to fly from a regulatory point of view because they, we, we cannot foresee all the black swan scenarios and... and, and yeah, from a regulatory point of view, but also from really yeah. a stability yeah. point of view, because whatever you have as backing there yeah. is going to be volatile. Yeah. And whenever you have that the backing of a stable coin is volatile, you run the risk of a disorderly liquidation, like a bank, uh, very similar to a bank run. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the only way to fully prevent that mm -hmm. is to have cash yeah. as your pot of money mm -hmm. uh, to ensure value. And even that can be stolen. Yeah. Um, or to have a government guarantee. Mm -hmm. 
So, so there, there are multiple ways to, to deal with it. And th that's also one of the pillars that we actually looked at. Eh? Exactly. Right. So, yeah. so um, um, because like we said, we were going to set up a series of scenarios based on various characteristics. <coughs> and we had five main categories of characteristics. One being, is it financially sound? Is it regulatory sound? Is it operational possible to, to work with it? Um, various technical aspects, but also from a functional or ecosystem point of view, uh, will be used by a lot of people. And, and uh, Or do we have a very organic grow mechanism and then nobody will use it in the end. So, so these were the five mechanisms that look, uh, uh, where we looked at. And the stability mechanism obviously was one of the, is it financially sound? How is it backed, et cetera? Exactly. exactly. And like we said, uh, algorithmic trading was one of them. And, and we discussed that upfront said, well, it's never gonna fly. And then the whole Terra incident happened. And what, what always makes me wonder, why does the, the, the industry, um, or why did the industry think it was such a good idea to have a system like this? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the million dollar question. Or yeah, the, the eight million dollar question. So I think one of the appeals of the algorithmic stablecoin was uh, the community sense. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> there have been other algorithmic stablecoins that also collapsed. Terra was kind of the exception. That's also why it attracted um, relatively many true believers in decentralization. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> if you look at most of the other alternatives, that those involve more centralized parties. If you look at USDT, uh, there is one party that administers a pot of money as collateral about which they're very intransparent that they let audit by an accountant on the Bahamas or so. Yeah, um, because USDT yeah. is quite controversial in exactly. itself as well, yeah. while being the biggest still out there or not? Uh, to in, the in best of my recollection, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And there, the doubt again comes from the fact that the collateral, the part of securities and money behind it, is volatile in value. Mm -hmm. So if it drops by too much, you will again get this run to the exit, disorderly liquidation. Yeah. So, so uh, all these things you are saying, actually, this this stabil uh, stabilizing mechanism and and making sure that people trust that it will always be backed by sufficient funds in the background, whatever the funds are. That is something that we saw coming back in, in, in rating our scenarios as well as yep. being very, very important. Um, and thus, if you want to set up a sustainable uh, Euro stablecoin that is future proof, this is something that should be really, really sound. Exactly, yep. exactly. That, yep. that is the basis, that's the most, well, oh, I think the most important criterion. Yeah. Uh, the second is probably can you run a business model off it? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 <laughs> do not underestimate. Is it allowed to under yeah. regulation? Obvi et uh, obviously. And especially obviously. with yeah. with with upcoming regulations in Europe, um, they are going to be very strict on stable coins in this case. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there's only a few ways in which you could do it. You could do it under an e-money license. Mm -hmm. um, and then you experience a lot of restrictions. Yeah. 
the alternative would be to do it as a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, then it would fall under your regular banking license. Yeah. Um, but you would have scrutiny yeah. uh, with respect to money laundering uh, yeah, procedure and an anti-money laundering. But but, but let's let's elaborate on the um, regulatory side and the effect of Mika in this case uh, on stablecoins uh, for another podcast <laughs> because yeah. I think we can fill up a whole range of podcasts on that topic in itself. So, so uh, what we have been doing in, in the past few months, uh, sit down with a wide group of people thinking about all these various scenarios. So first, within these five categories, financial, regulatory, operational, technical, and functional, we came up with uh, sub-characteristics. And out of these sub-characteristics, we start to basically form scenarios. So um, we ended up with a total of nine scenarios. Nine scenarios, yeah, yes. Yeah. Out of which we picked three that were our prime picks yeah yeah so so basically uh, what we did there is uh, these scenarios we said okay um, they're all a mix of match of various financial systems or regulatory um, soundness or operational and technical functionality uh, possibilities and and functional possibilities etc so um, like a good scenario planning uh, um, uh, exercise, we all named them and we st- said, okay, now we're going to actually rate them. So what we did there is we started rating them and also started to um, attach weight to ratings. It is a sound process, but there's always a little bit of subjectivity in it, right? That is the downside of this, this, this yeah, way of working. Uh, these weights are to a certain degree arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. And for anybody who wants to read more about this process and the weights and the, the characteristics that we use, we are working on a little, um, let's call it a white paper, uh, where we describe how we came up with these scenarios in itself. So like you said, we had nine scenarios. And we all weighed them. And based on these weights, we uh, created a, a weighted score, obviously. And uh, just by heart, it is, um, say, around, and now I have to uh, count very quickly, it was 20, uh, 20 criteria in the end, uh, that, uh, that came up with a weighted um, uh, score in itself. And there were three scenarios uh, where based on the weighted score, we as a group deemed these are the most feasible to further investigate, to see if we can start experimenting with these uh, stablecoins in itself. And these were yeah, the, the banking retailing scenario, the banking wholesale scenario, and the public-private scenario. And maybe you, you, you want to um, just briefly touch upon uh, these three scenarios, uh, what they entail? Yeah, sure. Um, so the banking retail scenario is a scenario in which uh, stable coins are issued by banks. Um, <clears throat> they, uh, because they're issued by banks, they have bank balance sheets um, as collateral that that means that uh, they're basically as safe as other deposit claims uh, that we have and that they can also be protected under uh, deposit insurance which is an enormous additional stabilizer Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, because this, this is this, this insurance part is typically something we set with a group. This is a a a, a backfall or fallback yeah. uh, in case it goes completely south so yeah you exactly yeah. Exa exactly uh, so how this works at least uh, in the Netherlands is that banks co-insure each other through an insurance fund and then the government uh, as a backstop yeah uh, so so this is basically as safe as your bank deposits up to 100k mm -hmm. um, with a with a commercial bank now it also allows because of this structure uh, to be backed by somewhat riskier assets than just cash. Uh, anything that's on the bank balance sheet can, in, in principle, mm -hmm. uh, be backing. And that also allows for an earnings model from the bank. Um, um, an asset earnings model. Yeah, and and that, that could make it more sustainable from a business model perspective. from a business model yeah. perspective yeah. you could still also get uh, transaction fees or a subscription fee mm -hmm. uh, with that but yeah. if the uh, if the collateral assets generate enough returns especially when interest rates are a bit higher mm -hmm. th that need not even be necessary yeah, because this, this, this business model is something we that should not be underestimated right yeah it's 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 one of the things a lot of stable coins struggle with at the moment yeah sustainable especially especially in low rate environments yeah because then if you put very safe assets such as government uh, short-term government bonds as collateral they don't earn enough to cover your cost for technology and people uh, etc simply your operational costs yeah so, so the, 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 the banking part, and we split it in two, um, the yeah. retail and the wholesale. Well, yeah. that's bread and, uh, bread and butter for you, but maybe the difference <laughs> for... So, so the idea for the retail part would really that this is for consumers, uh, for people like you and me for everyday transactions, small services, uh, provide the convenience to get large user bases to apps that work with tokens. Mm -hmm. um, the wholesale part is more for larger businesses to do mutual transactions. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is typically involving large amounts of money that uh, would fall outside of uh, the deposit insurance system where also uh, risks for, for example, money laundering may be higher because larger sums are involved. Often more international transactions are involved. So you also would need a slightly different structure. Yeah, it's a different yeah. structure, uh, but also um, potentially different regulatory regime because exactly. in, on the one hand, there is a higher risk on money laundering, cross-border payments, etc. On the other hand, it's not consumer facing, so yeah. the consumer protection is not <laughs> is is less severe. Is yeah. less there. Yeah. yeah. So it, it can be, have influence on a lot of elements yeah. in this case, yeah. right? And the third one was a public-private um, uh, scenario. Yes, that uh, that is uh, that is rather similar to uh, to the banking retail. Um, model in the sense that also the government would provide an, uh, an insurance. Because of this government insurance, there could be slightly higher risky assets as collateral than just cash. 
Al- yeah. Although we, we, we set for the deposit that we want to have it as much fiat backed as possible. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and especially the, 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 the government backing would be on the business model in itself to make sure that it can always run. Yes, exactly. Because then rather than having to live off asset earnings, you can, mm-hmm. for example, uh, have it financed by taxes yeah. and potentially supplemented with, uh, with the user transaction fee. Yeah, and in this case, we we um, have the possibility to have a long-term sustainable business model, so the the system as a whole keeps on running uh, because yeah. you want it to keep on running, but also have the certainty that through a very very high rate of fiat backing, uh, that there is always a stability towards the uh, outstanding yeah. amount. Yeah. Well, with something like this, you would. Even if you don't provide the explicit insurance, you would always have the expectation of insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because it's government's uh, government sponsored. That would also help. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other reason why you want as much fiat as possible is that you don't want to have the taxpayers on the hook yeah. for asset mismanagement. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So uh, these are the three scenarios. So what 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 are the, the steps that we are now looking at is uh, really looking into current initiatives because we, we we can think that we can come up with all the scenarios and the best euro stable coins in the world but obviously there are more out there one particularly interesting that is coming up right now um the euroc uh, in itself it's the euro variant of the usdc um but there are uh, probably many more uh, euro stablecoin initiatives out there uh, there, uh, where we want to compare these scenarios towards uh, what they are doing and to see where are the differences, etc. So we can learn from that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also going forward, yeah. um, uh, I also expect that more euro stable coins will be coming up mm-hmm. as interest rates in euro area are not negative anymore. So it becomes slightly easier. Yeah, to, also, also from this business model perspective. Uh, from this business model perspective to, uh, to get it to run. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, and, and that is uh, immediately also a call to action, obviously, is um, uh, if you know people that are involved in these kind of initiatives of, or you are a person involved in these kind of initiatives, please contact us so we can compare your initiative towards the scenarios that we are looking at. Um, and also uh, from a, a pers- uh, first from perspective, so we can learn from each other uh, to see where uh, is a overlap, where are differences, uh, why are those differences there? Uh, but secondly, also, if there is a uh, high overlap, potentially we can work together to really test these tokens in various scenarios to really and now we're really going back to where we started with this podcast actually uh, to see how much these efficiency gains actually are if we are using them in a tokenized uh, environment in itself exactly exactly yeah. even if this is a test net type of version where uh, that's all kind of mvps can use uh, through a standard yeah uh, smart contract or api yeah, and, and, and all in, in order to, to help to, uh, yeah, basically the token ecosystem much further. Exactly. Uh, yeah. At this point in time. So um, 
given the time, we're all, almost running through our half an hour podcast already. Um, so far, we've worked on the various scenarios. We are uh, now at the point that we're comparing the uh, preferred scenarios to um, existing initiatives and also see if there's a match, yes or no, to take these stable coins to, to test them or maybe set them up themselves. Although I personally always am a fan of reusing what there is already. Um, and then test it as much in practice to see the efficiency gain as a whole. So um, any other considerations from, from your side at, at this point in time or at this point, not. At this point, not. No. So they're really the, the ball is in, a, in 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 our ballpark at the moment uh, that we have to to work on this one. And again, a call to action to everybody who listens to this podcast: if you know somebody in these kind of initiatives, don't hesitate to contact the Two Tokens Foundation and the Euro Stablecoin Workgroup, because we're very very interesting uh, interested in, um, in talking to those uh, initiatives uh, to see how we can help each other really putting this into practice and with that also convincing governments and central banks in the added value of these kind of euro stable coins um, and going beyond the fact that anything crypto related is scary but can also have huge efficiency gains if set up correctly with a regulatory and a financial and business model sustainability in background right exactly absolutely all right, so this was the update stablecoin podcast for today. Uh, we will hopefully give you an update in a few months down the road or even quicker than that. Um, as soon as we have the white paper uh, with regards to the process so far ready, uh, we will let you know through the websites of the Two Tokens Foundation. And do not forget to subscribe on the podcast because we're not only talking uh, stable coins, we're talking a whole, wild, uh, whole wide range of very interesting tokenization topics um, on the Two Tokens Foundation podcast series. So please don't forget to subscribe. Thank you very much uh, for listening. And again, if you have any contacts in the stablecoin world, we're very happy to, um, uh, to get in contact with uh, those initiatives so we can learn from each other and bring the ecosystem further. Thank you very much for now and hope to hear you soon again. That was it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening in and please subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details at www.twotokens.org.